How do I know this is the real you? Well, you don't. I'm not verified <laughs> anymore on Twitter. That's that's the that's the that's the pinnacle of um authenticity. It's the spaces. It's the spaces between words that that authenticates your your through your voice. <laughs> <laughs> How do I know I'm talking to you? You're not. Well, <laughs> we're gonna have to give up on this podcast right now. Can't trust anything. <laughs> It might be better this way. <laughs> uh, yeah, over the weekend, uh, or I guess in the last week, I was trying out one of those services where you upload some audio of someone speaking and you synthesize their voice and then you can supply text and it will read the text in their voice. Um, you know, say, sort of in the in the, in the the vein of uh, like ChatGPT and then the Crayon, you know, AI service. And so we've gone from... We're, we're making images from text prompts to uh, the search results or, or skipping search results and getting answers that may not be correct with ChatGPT. And then this is um, taking sample audio of someone's voice and uh, making them say anything. And I think what I was sharing the results with uh, Slack, our colleagues in 9to5Mac, and uh, one thing I did was I took my colleague Chance's audio because I just happened to have a recording of him speaking only his audio from when he guessed it on the podcast. And then I did yours and Chance said his didn't sound like him, but yours sounded like you. And then you said the same, but about your voice and his. <laughs> the thing about Coldplay that people don't understand is that every song sounds exactly the same. It's like how Apple changes the number on the box for the iPhone and people still buy the new one every year. And I've been to Coldplay concerts. The encore might as well be the show opener. It's like an hour-long song on loop. So then they I were pretty mine. good. How much audio did you submit for it to do it? I think they only want like 10 minutes. They say anything more than 10 minutes isn't helpful. It doesn't make a difference. Right, um, okay. Yeah. So I just took as, lo- like, uh, as long of a block as you know was you speaking on the podcast from a mm-hmm. few episodes ago. Um, and and so probably, probably 15 minutes. Yeah, so that would be five, 10 minutes of speech. Because uh, I feel yeah. like that's one of the big breakthroughs of the recent... Because, you know, voice synthesis stuff has existed for a long time. Um, and, you know, Apple was touting their machine learning voice synthesis um, Siri voice. What was that, back in like 2018 or whatever? Yeah. And it was like, oh, this sounds great. You know, it sounds pretty human-like. But the way that those were built were based on hours and hours of someone recording based into a huge machine learning model that takes you know weeks to train and to optimize and in that you know in that time now we're at a point where consumer tools you can upload only a few you know a very short snippet of something and get a pretty accurate um voice reproduction it's not as high quality as i'd say like some of the siri voices are or like the voices we heard on the um you know like the ai audiobooks that apple books have started doing like that kind of mm-hmm. thing requires a bit more you know, you talk, they talk, you know, you have to cover more of the, the vocabulary of English and whatever language you're trying to reproduce. Um, but the fact you can get close to easy to mistake voice with yeah. basically no work, with basically just like a 10 minute snippet is uh, kind of wild. I mean, speaking of the Apple Books audio uh, book generation feature, that seems like what it's best at is taking for example an, an article that you wrote and so it's in your own words and feeding it that text you know feeding it your voice sample for of, of 10 minutes of speaking and then it puts out something that's it's 
you know, like if if you've only heard yourself, like if someone's only heard you, uh, they've never heard you before, then you just think, well, this is their voice. And and if they've heard you on a podcast, you know, here or there, then then it'd be passable. And I, you know, hearing you every single week, I thought, well, this is pretty good. <laughs> it was pretty um, good. Yeah. Yeah. To me, the Apple brand ultimately stands for high quality premium products developed by teams of people that care deeply about what they are working on and have the freedom to sweat the details. Whilst they don't always succeed, their consistency at achieving that feeling when it comes to hardware design is unrivaled. Every part, every component, every material appears to have been thoroughly considered and debated. Nothing is rushed or skimped on. That permeates through to the end product, tangibly and intangibly so. That doesn't mean everything they make is a surefire hit or a runaway success, just that someone cared about making it. I'm not sure I could name a single Apple service that meets that bar. Apple's services tick the boxes, and they mostly do what they promise. However, nothing comes close to the quality of experience I expect to have from things branded with the Apple logo. When I'm using these apps, I'm not filled with confidence that striving for greatness was a top priority. Far too often, meeting revenue goals and business objectives seem more important to their creation. They are built to a passing grade, but nothing more. Yeah, my my voice though, two things. Uh, Tim Cook's voice seemed like the the whole thing was just trained not to reproduce it, which is, if if true, <laughs> pretty smart um, in terms of uh, taking a popular voice and not having it you know be a bad example. Um, and then my voice. I think you and Chance both said that it wasn't anything like mine. You know, yeah, it was just weird. Was... Don't call it HBO. Max Video Service launching next month by Zach Hall. What do you get when you mix HBO Max and parts of Discovery Plus? Max. That's the name of the new streaming video service from Warner Bros. Discovery launching next month. The totally original, utterly distinctive, completely creative name has been rumored since December. The marketing department either couldn't conjure a better name or, more likely, couldn't convince their bosses that something, including HBO, you know, signaled that this is the HBO stuff. The top brass at the merged media companies certainly aren't married to the HBO brand, despite those three letters being synonymous with prestige television. Yeah, Yeah, even though it was the same, you know, approach, which was just spoken audio from this podcast, uh, you know, uploaded and... It did not seem like me at all. No. The funny thing about like the one you did of me was the because you're because it's you know you're typing in the script where it has to say by default it doesn't have any of the like pauses in speech or the mistakes or the errs you know the the mm-hmm. the slip ups that actual you know we make on the show all the time because everybody does because it's just you know human nature it's natural. Uh, whereas the voice like the actual way that it spoke sounded pretty accurate, but it had none of the right or the or the mistaking or the the brave and there's like i think there's some settings they give you that can like mm-hmm. tweak it so that it makes it more artificial i it, it intentionally puts in ooze errs and other and other um interjections to try and make it sound more realistic and like live off the cuff that's right yeah w- which is where you know the th- you know you see apple apple do this with with apple books you don't you don't really want to get the us and mistakes and everything in there when you're like reading something for production like that because yeah, the real thing if if a real narrator makes a mistake they re-record it like mm-hmm. most of these they books they yeah. take hours and hours and hours to record because they go over the lines multiple multiple times it's like when you're you know when you hear music produce music each individual line of lyric has been re-recorded for four, four five six seven maybe ten times or more just to make sure they get the perfect notes um 
Um, and the same is true for recorded works on like audiobooks or whatnot. And so when you have an AI do it, and it can do it perfectly every single time, it's way faster and it's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it, I'm not sure what commercial or productive reason... I, I struggle to think of like off-the-shelf... Like, where, how could I... Obviously, the audiobooks thing is an example, but, like, I guess if I wrote a novel, I could have myself read it, but I would just want to read it all out. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of a case where I'd want a... Like, how would I utilize an AI voice of myself? Like, you know, the GPT stuff with the text and obviously has much more relevancy in terms of, like, oh, you can see this becoming a consumer feature. Voice synthesis, I'm less less clear about i'd say at the moment it's fun to do but i don't know where i don't know what the like the intended use cases are really hmm. one, one thing i guess you could do though is you could you could mix in you know the production that it creates and then just like you edit around with what like chat gpt could write for an article you could um you know change it up add in if you think something's just really off you could add in you know what what you're on recording or something is or if you misspoke edits. or if you misspoke you can easily fix it and actually replace it with something that sounds right or like or if it if it can't get something you know if it's a technical term that it can't pronounce correctly um, and then you know that I, I guess if you if you like for example if you were a publisher that wanted to do an audio version of all your articles but not but have it be in your voice and not have it be read by somebody else or read by you know one of the the generic voices then then that would that would be probably the most efficient way to do it and and all this yeah. was like you, know, you, you get so many and of course they you know they monetize it of course and so like what i did was um i think one dollar for like a for like a month or three month trial of of the service uh you, you could do it for free you just have less uh, output or you could pay a lot if you wanted to do this heavily but yeah that's 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 almost as interesting as the the, the fact that it exists is, is what are the ways you would use this you know and, and one of the, the products that they offer is not just copy you know cloning your voice or what they call it but also synthesizing a voice in general and so you, you would describe it as like you know how how <laughs> what characteristics you want the voice to have and it'll make one for you speaking of ai stuff the information had an interesting kind of profile this week on Apple's experimentation with large language models in the context of their own internal work on Siri and such and kind of a retrospective on like John G. John G. Andrea's like first five years as, you know, head of machine learning at Apple and um, conveying some of the issues and the internal power struggles that have been going on that maybe have limited the amount of change he's actually been able to enact there in terms of feature development for Siri and, and other things. Um, this was by Wayne Meyer in the information. It was a pretty good report. There were some interesting kind of points to it. So uh, there, there there was a lot of description of like division and kind of um, turf wars inside the group that works on Siri. So like there would be competing projects um, trying to like, you know, make the product better and then the executive team there would like disagree or there'd be a lot of bureaucracy in getting things pushed through or the design side of the unit would um, basically say you can only ship this if it's, you know, 100% nearly perfectly accurate. Um, and if it's only 80, 85% accurate, uh, we aren't going to do it. And so one direct example they had is, do you remember this was, I think this was announced like either it was in one of the COVID keynotes, it might have been 2020 or 21, where they said they're introducing a lot more results from the web and you like ask a query to Siri and it would like do a web search, but then it'd like directly quote the answer. Um, and that's like rolled out now. 
Um, and it basically unlocked the ability for Siri to answer like trivia questions on a lot wider area, catching up to a feature that you know Google Assistant and stuff had for a while. And apparently, that getting that feature out the door was a big struggle um, because the executive team and the design team had uh, high requirements for this feature being a thing. So um, it says here that like engineers spent months persuading Siri designers that not every one of its answers required human verification. Um, the engineering teams had pushed for an accuracy rate closer to 80%, but the design team wanted it to be nearly perfect in its answers. And basically the engineering team had to spend a long time um, convincing higher ups that it would be impossible to scale up Siri to answer the vast number of questions that users asked uh, with such high accuracy. And so eventually, it took about a year, eventually the design team backed off on the near-perfect near accuracy and there was a compromise made where the feature would ship but it would have a problem, uh, report a problem with its answer button. Um, mm-hmm. Although it did eventually ship and mostly works, but clearly there's like, you know, there's uh, Apple is very conservative, especially around like this AI stuff in general. And this is one example of a feature that, you know, could have come out the door a lot sooner but was held up because of these complications and kind of internal standards that don't really fit like you know if you're making a hardware product you're making you know general software features it's it's a lot easier to say look we're not going to ship this until it's perfect and ready to go whereas something like you know machine learning intelligence um intelligent technologies and you know that kind of emergent space it's hard to ship something with near perfect accuracy uh you really have to get it out there with a you know a decent hit rate and then iterate on it quickly with people adopting it and trying it and finding edge cases and you know moving fast and apple's culture doesn't really support that and that also leans into the uh large language model stuff right so obviously it's rose to fame and incredible popularity and and with the very impressive results with stuff like openia's um chat gpt stuff and there's a lot of questions about whether apple would be interested or how they might be able to integrate some of that underlying models and um, you know neural network models into siri in the future and this article basically says don't expect anything anytime soon and um, before even before like this recent upswing uh, it says that apple executives were not interested in making siri able to take long conversations saying it would be hard to control and it would just be kind of cheesy and, and gimmicky rather than useful um, and more recently engineers have been looking into adopting uh, large language models uh, to enhance the Siri experience, but he doesn't expect any of that stuff to ship for at least another year. So it may be aiming for some sort of lang- large language model enhanced feature in 2024, again on the condition that they can, you know, hit a level of accuracy and reliability that pleases the, you know, the executive team um, at the top. Right. They, and then just an example of the bureaucracy argument, um, there was a kind of effort around 2019, according to the report, to rewrite Siri from the ground up with a project codenamed Blackbird. And rather than depending wholly on, you know, backend servers, this effort, uh, the Blackbird effort would create a lightweight version of Siri, which would make more of the functions and um, kind of be delegated to the individual apps installed on the phone. And most of the software would run on the iPhone itself instead of the cloud. And it, uh, it says here that demos of Blackbird prompted a lot of excitement among employees on the team because of its incredible responsiveness and speed. Uh, but... Blackbird didn't end up shipping because it conflicted with a project that two longtime uh, Siri leaders, uh, Alex Acero and Robbie Walker, were working on at the time, which was codenamed Siri X, which was uh, timed for the 10th anniversary of the voice system, which aimed to move um, a lot of the Siri processing uh, onto the device for privacy reasons. You'll remember this, because again, they announced this as a feature 
I believe in iOS 14, that a lot more of Siri's capabilities would be processed on the device rather than being done on the cloud. Um, but Siri X's goal was simply to reproduce existing things that Siri would do uh, without the more ambitious kind of speed and responsive targets of the Blackbird project. Um, and even though it seems like Blackbird would have been more advanced in terms of what it could offer customers, uh, the Siri X project run out probably because it was backed by the long time executive teams sure. um and so all the development of it ultimately went towards the Siri X stuff instead of the blackbird stuff and the Siri X stuff shipped and the blackbird stuff didn't so the 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 that's kind of like an overall picture painted by the information about like look john and john and jerry andrea did some good stuff and he's you know he hired a lot of good people but a lot of the good people he's hiring uh either their work doesn't actually make it out the door or they they face um, it gets shipped in a limited you know more cut down fashion, or they face adoption issues internally, which then ultimately mean that they leave and go and work elsewhere. Uh, they even name a, a set number of people that actually uh, three people in particular that left Apple last year because they believed that companies like Google were more agile and a better place to work on emerging technologies like like large language models. So a bit of the kind of brain drain argument is also uh, at play here. Man, uh, Siri, Siri X. So that, that, I mean, that based that describes what we've seen released. And, and yes. Yeah, yeah. And then Blackbird is an Apple TV show. So. <laughs> <laughs> Good show, yeah, but not um, not a what? not a Siri uh, reimplementation for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it, it's this. This is good information in terms of looking back at, at how things have gone. Why we haven't seen anything more ambitious. Um, and doesn't seem that optimistic about like, or at least doesn't doesn't like pinpoint a change in in uh, how things are operating for there to be like, like we we, we you know may, maybe in twenty twenty four we get the um, the language model driven version. And yeah, and I mean, if you, if you want to have some optimism, at least sure. it says they're yeah. looking to bring improvements that rely on LLMs next year. They could have said yeah. not at all, you know. <laughs> that's, that's true. So, yeah. so maybe twenty twenty four could be the year of uh, not not saying hey before Siri, and then and then that, and then they tell you know it's a big, they call it a big Siri update, or it's, it's you know pushed out that way. Uh, what do you hmm. think about this kind of narrative that I've seen a lot of people um, spread in the last couple of weeks in like the pundit space that you know. Apple's going to come to WWC and be talking all about virtual reality and augmented reality when the kind of, you know, other companies or in many ways the theme of the year has been on all this, like, AI stuff. Like, what? Like, and I've seen some people say that Apple's already kind of missed the boat. I don't know about that. Like, this is kind of always their, their play. Like, you know, abstract away from any specific thing, they're never the first person to cutting-edge stuff. Like, very rarely... Do you see Apple being the leader on something um, like a technological significance? They they see good technology and they invest in it and they come out with stuff eventually, but they're never on the like the bleeding edge of things. And for all the good that all this AI stuff has brought us in the last few months, and it is really interesting, it is really fun and different and new and clearly productive, um, enhancing in many ways, there's also plenty of big asterisks and downside and problems at the moment that a lot of these companies kind of like just shrug off. Like, you know, all the stuff with Microsoft Bing giving silly answers and, you know, rude answers and, you know, um, Google, um, the Google Bard system providing incorrect responses to questions. Like all of this um, negativity or potential for controversy, it's just all stuff that Apple has very little tendency to kind of invite. So they'd rather just like sit back and not do it. So it fits with the general scheme of like, the way apple plays this and i don't think it's like a critical 
um, business failing for like the L the large language model stuff specifically or the AI stuff specifically to not be a big priority for them at the moment like mm-hmm. it, it's a matter of investment for being relevant you know like a you know a five-year timeline but i don't think there's any particular like immediacy to it i think siri should be way better than it is uh but that's a problem that's existed for you know many years at this point uh but on the ai stuff specifically if they're doing investment and if they're doing research and development if they're keeping up you know internally i don't think it matters that much that they don't have to ship stuff like you know right now in this kind of more early still kind of beta stages of of this stuff yeah the the using vr for this year is like this year's uh presentation i mean we we do know of course this has been something they wanted to do for the past few years and it's only just now where they're getting to a point where they're going to show it off um you know much much less release and everything <laughs> um but but also in compare and another thing is like the vr stuff does remind me of this is apple doing something that like Samsung push push. Remember when Samsung pushed the, the VR headset uh, almost ten years ago? Like it was a long time ago, mm-hmm. uh, and that was that was one of the big pushes. And people like bought them. You know, I think you put your phone in the headset, and that was the product. Um, and you know, a, a, like Apple's won't compare. It won't be anything like what what it'll be most like what we've seen from 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 uh, from Oculus, you know, Meta. Um, but if you compare like the VR stuff, which we we know, you know, as you suggested, is like it's the the, the stepping points to you know AR glasses and where they actually want to go. Um, it, it's it's also like not out of the blue for Apple. They've they've talked about AR at least and and implemented AR features in iOS uh, for the last several years. So it's like the culmination of at least of that. Um, and then if you compare like the language models that we're seeing tested in real time in public you know where there's there's the mistakes are happening in, in public and um it's not you know like everything is integrating with uh with um you know a chat gpt type service uh or they're like literally chat gpt what we see mostly right now i think is that the raw technology exists and we're watching it in real time as it develops and we can see it goof up and and etc um but it's it's a lot of what we're seeing is like this is a technology, and then what will the product be that uses this? It'll be a lot of different things, it seems. But um, like you know, for Apple, it probably is Siri, um, or at least at least you know a smarter system of search and, and everything within um, the uh, iOS and macOS and everything. So um, I think all that's kind of like even even if VR seems late for Apple and like everything's on um, large language models right now. The VR stuff, in comparison, at least, will be like a whole ecosystem of this is a bunch of experiences you can have. There's a defining product, which is the headset. Um, there's all these ways that you can interact with this thing, and that that um, are standing on the shoulders of what you can do on the iPhone and iPad and Mac. So yeah, it, it's it's a clever comparison of like Apple's late. You know, everyone else is doing this other thing, but at the same time, like what hardware product is Apple missing out on that? that you know not doing a large language model this year others are having a it isn't like there's a huge um new product that that other companies are selling and getting out in the market that's going to compete with the iphone like if anything you know all this stuff runs on the iphone in part you know yeah hmm. yeah it's just a it's like center of the universe and the outside galaxy kind of analogy yeah. Because yeah. like it also, you know, with the it, series stuff, it's like yeah, the the LLM stuff would be great and useful, but there's plenty of other things that Apple could do to just make Siri more reliable and faster yeah. to respond, and you know, just address more 
domains of question that they could do under the existing system and they could have shipped that stuff two years ago three years ago if they wanted to and they just didn't do it you know for whatever reason maybe it was internal bureaucracy you know maybe it was just other priorities but like the i don't see the the ai you know language model stuff as like an inflection point it's just kind of like Mm. a new milestone that they'll eventually get around to you know yeah, and it also reminds me of when Google and, I don't know, Facebook, other companies were doing a lot of talk about machine learning, and that was the big thing, like the big phrase to use. Everything was machine learning, and Apple eventually got there. They even like retroactively called things machine learning that really really were. It was just a whole new way of marketing it. Um, and then we even see like Pixelmator have buttons called ML and hands, <laughs> things like that. It's like you should never – that should never be exposed to a user, but like because of the, the – machine learning and ml is trendy it became uh you know like customer facing well uh, and even label. apple sells its chips to customers that way right like you yeah. go on the iphone product page it's like the a16 bionic chip is two times faster at ml tasks yeah. you know like it's like yeah it's wild they even talk about that stuff but they do yeah. all right yeah so yeah it just reminds me of that like you know we're, we, we saw ml and then apple eventually like rejiggered their marketing <laughs> and, and ways of talking to include ml uh Maybe we'll see that same thing apply in the future here. Yeah. I mean, they don't have a large language model per se, but you know, if they if they in any way to kind of present themselves as they're also in this in this space, you know, with you just didn't realize it because of how it was talked about. You know. This week's episode of Happy Hour is brought to you by Collide. Our sponsor Collide has some big news. If you're an Okta user, they can get your entire fleet up to one hundred percent compliance. Well, but how do they do this? It's actually super simple. If a device isn't compliant, then the user is disallowed from logging into your cloud apps until they fix the problem. It forces a person to do the necessary fixes. It's that simple. And based on that simple principle, Collide patches one of the major holes in a zero trust architecture device compliance. Without Collide, IT departments struggle to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and web browser up to date on the latest version. Without Collide, non-updated, unsecure devices can log into your company's apps because there's nothing there to stop them. Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication, and it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and tells them how to fix it. And if they don't perform the fix within a set time period, then they're blocked out. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. Visit collide.com slash happy hour to learn more or book a demo. That's spelled K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash happy hour. Collide.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Collide for sponsoring the show. All right, next up, we've got WatchOS 10 and some things to expect for the Apple Watch this year coming at WWDC. This comes from Mark Gurman at Bloomberg. Uh, a lot of widget stuff, <laughs> redesigned stuff. Uh, what's... What's in what's in for WatchOS 10 this year, Mayo? Yeah, so we'd heard before that WatchOS 10 was going to be one of the most significant updates to the Apple Watch operating system since you know the first version almost, and it sure sounds like they're they're going to um, try uh, something quite radical. So uh, what Gurman describes is that Apple's kind of bringing in a widget system to the Apple Watch um, that obviously hasn't doesn't exist on the watch now they introduced they revamped widgets on the iphone with ios 15 and based on that success they're going to bring a similar system to the watch but rather than um putting the widgets on the home screen because you know not many people use the apple watch home screen as it is now they're actually going to 
get rid of they're going to deprioritize the home screen app grid or the honeycomb grid um, and make widgets like that layer even to the point that a, pre- a, bu- a button press of the digital crown will take you to this new kind of widget experience instead of uh, the app grid gurm describes it kind of like widget stack so you know like the square um two by two widgets you get on the iphone home screen yes uh, it's be like and you can obviously put multiple on top of each other and swipe between them that's how he kind of describes it. It'll be that, but sized for the Apple Watch. Um, and this, for people that had the Apple Watch in the first days, sounds a lot like a feature they had originally, which was called Glances. And this was something that they promoted with Apple Watch 1. You know, it was in that September presentation. And back then, it was kind of like a horizontal carousel. So you'd have one, you'd have like the weather or like stock prices, and you could kind of swipe between them left and right. And I think the heartbeat, the heart rate originally was a glance rather than being an app. Things that are in control center, like battery, where the glance is. Yeah, Yeah, because obviously control center didn't exist in the first version. Um, Instead, you had like full screen things that you swipe through, which never really made sense at the time because the Apple Watch wasn't powerful enough. So a lot of the glances would would take a long time to load or they'd always be out of date. They wouldn't be updated with the latest information. And then stuff like, you know, quick toggles, you didn't really want to be swiping left and right between loads of pages to edit. Um, so this solution kind of keeps all this, you know, the simple toggle stuff to control center is now. But instead of going to the home screen grid of app icons, you'll be taken to this kind of like widget experience itself. Um, maybe somewhat reminiscent of the Siri watch face, German Wright, similar to widget stacks. There'll probably be some, you know, AI stuff to like surface the most relevant widget to you at a particular time of day. Um like stuff like activity tracking on the weather, calendar appointments, basically trying to um, diminish the kind of amount of appness, app interactions you have to do on the watch because the apps on the Apple Watch haven't caught on. In fact, there was a disclosure that Apple made to the EU in the past week that said that the WatchOS App Store gets less than one million monthly active users across the, across the monthly active users across the whole of Europe. Um, and that compares like a hundred million for the iPhone and like thirty million for the iPad. And Does that mean launching the Watch App Store on the Watch uh, is compared to having Watch apps that? Come I think it from means like iPhone? yeah, downloading a new app or updating an app that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Because that's not surprising that you would just interact with apps that come from your iPhone, just upon you know having the phone like not Watch only apps, but but apps that have iPhone apps that have Watch apps as well. Hmm. Hmm. I think it means like actively using the watch app store so like actively browsing which probably does reduce the percentages compared to something like the iphone um because because what i find with most people with the apple watch is they download you know okay knowingly or unknowingly apps come onto their apple watch right mostly because they get automatically mirrored across from the phone either Um, either say later or all right now yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you set up yeah later all and most people click all because they come to regret it yeah. Um, yeah. and I think people kind of glom onto one or two or maybe three third party apps that they actually use on the watch for whatever reason uh, and then the otherwise it's just kind of like the system standard stuff mostly revolving around the fitness stuff and then like maybe messages or something that's how I use glances I felt like it was pretty performant as long as you had like you know three to five glances and not um, you know, 20. <laughs> yeah, like the, and if you're only ever yeah. launching three to five apps, mm-hmm. you might as well have a more widget look to them because you can see more information up front. You could still probably click on the widgets to launch into the apps themselves. Like, yeah. having that entire Honeycomb grid, which people um, complain about for, like, I don't know, reasons. Like, they don't like that you have to, like, that that, that 
particular like hexagonal arrangement i like i think it aesthetically looks pretty nice it's you know and it's it's cute to scroll around it and the the ones at the edge get smaller and there's like this kind of like magnif- magnification effect and i find it quite like as a as a thing to launch apps on a one and a half inch screen it's actually pretty good i think it gets unfairly criticized but you just don't launch apps that very often on the watch and so if you're only going to launch two three or four apps you're constantly switching between them why do you need to have a ui that's designed to show 20 30 items you might as well have something that shows you know three four or five squares and those squares can then show more information like a widget so i think this makes um quite a lot of sense i was surprised that german said that they were considering to replace the digital crown button press with the app grid like i kind of thought they were going to go around the route of the side button because yeah the side well, button dock experience is also lacking and i thought oh okay if, if they're going to do widgets it'd be like okay so you press the side button to get your widgets and then you press the home button which is the the crown equivalent right yeah. to go to the home screen of the app grid so doing it that way around makes it even more prominent i'd say um but maybe i'd question whether they should get rid of the dock instead i don't know yeah the the honeycomb grid felt like i, I think it's super attractive and then it was like used to you know, there was, I remember there was one magazine cover where it was like this runner and she was posing with the Apple Watch on before it was released and it showed the honeycomb grid as like the thing showing, which mm-hmm. of course and, in real and use. Was it Vogue magazine? Because I, I remember going out to like get a magazine from the from the newsstand. I have Vogue. I have that copy where they've got Yeah, and it, that like, the, the front picture of that was a woman like stylishly wearing the watch. It wasn't fitness, I don't think. And maybe right. that was a different magazine. And the, they, different they, one, yeah. Yeah, and it shot with the Apple Watch screen on on the Honeycomb grid, which obviously yeah, that was... uh, the, which obviously was re- unrealistic for many reasons because a the screen wasn't always on and b the default experience for the Apple Watch was the clock face, not the Honeycomb right. grid. Yeah, right. But it looks cool before it came out. It's like mm-hmm. that's something different and new. And look at all those apps and you know with the time centered in the middle, like it could be a watch face if you wanted it to be. It'd just be a very maybe you'd want to optimize the clock to be a little bit more uh, legible. But anyway, like back then when there was 3D or uh, I guess force touch on the watch, you could press into those apps and rearrange them. And it was always kind of a pain, like if you had a bunch of apps to really rearrange them in a way that you wanted to because you'd move one app. It's still the case now, you just have to do edit and then you're in this all other mode. Um, but it, it would be a situation where you'd move one app and then like something else would move in its place because they all kind of just gravitated toward the center. Um, but for me, the way I, I've found the grid to be most useful is have the apps that I want to use the most, like just say six, um, two above the clock, two below the clock and one mm-hmm. on either side of the clock. And those are like the go-to ones. And then just sort of have an idea of like whichever ones are around, um, you know that you scroll around to and just say if it's kind of like utility then put it on the upper right corner and lower lower left corner if it's more like um, messaging or social and um, that was back when more apps existed like instagram and twitter on the on the you know watch for example but um you know then they changed to have the option of the list view and i think the reason that you and i like the 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 grid view the most is because it's the most efficient in terms of like you have control over what it shows you when you first look at it versus the list which is alphabetical and you can't control it you can't say like i i want you know a theoretical um zoom app to be at the top even though it starts with z i don't i won't want it to be at the bottom i want it to be at the top but you can't do that you know whereas with the grid you could say zoom is right there when i launch you know click the digital crown i see the zoom app right there i can tap and launch it versus scroll 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 um 
so that that's something they they could always change the the list for you to be customizable i mean let you have favorites and let you say um you know it, it kind of looks like the app library right now and they don't let you do that either but they could say you know app library 2.0 and now you can pen pen apps and you can arrange them by category and not just alphabetize or however you want to do that and, um, they haven't done that but to and then another change they did with the with the grid early on was initially like you click the digital crown you go to the grid you could swipe around you click the crown again and it was centered on the grid again like you you wouldn't leave yet and they changed the behavior to you click the crown go to the grid swipe around click the kind of grin it goes to your watch face which is mm-hmm. probably the right behavior but that just shows kind of the de-emphasization of the of that the grid over time of like realizing that the watch face is really your home screen and not that app launcher as your home screen compared to on the iphone you've got a lock screen but then you've got where you actually do things which is your home screen um and then with the dock they've changed the dock over over time you know i mean initially that the side button was for your friends it was a uh, um you know like 12 favorites and you could easily text call or send your heartbeat digital touch you know these people um not a bad idea in terms of like a fast way to communicate with your favorites but you know went went away and i kind of wish they'd bring that back by the way like yeah (laughs) what do you do on the watch like a lot of it is me you know doing a quick text message and if i could just get to the contacts with a button on the side it would be quite useful (laughs) yeah when when they moved to dock um and and they got rid of glances entirely like that it was watch OS too. And it made the first watch feel a lot faster. I guess I did a lot of optimizations anyway, but it felt like, Oh, this is definitely even on beta one faster than watch OS one point anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but initially the dock was, you, you know, full app views side by side scrolling, you know, um, yeah, it was horizontal, um, horizontally. And then like they the old it. clock faces used to be when you switch between clock faces. Yeah. And I think what they were going for then was rather than have, glances or apps why not have the top level of your app be glanceable and you click on the dock and you can like see the weather okay that's there see messages that's there and you can just look at those things in the dock i don't think the performance ever got there though where it was like that design met that performance and behavior mm-hmm. because that would make sense it's like you click the side button you go through your apps and you don't even need to like touch them you know, you can just see information that's loaded top level versus like some navigation stack. Um, and and what they replaced it with eventually was, oh, it really is just going to be an alternative app launcher where you can't even see the full screen app. They're all overlapped and they're, and they're you know, on top of each other instead of beside each other. And that, that really was just here are your most recent apps or if you choose so, these are your favorite apps to launch. And it went away from even like the idea of glances at all, um, which, you know. It's kind of a step back as long as like the performance kept getting better. You could have that first model where it's like the top level of your app shows you information and you don't need to interact with it. And it's much more than you can fit on a watch face. But and then the, the Siri watch face, you know, like there was an early article on that where it sounded like that was just an alternative user interface with a watch, like versus having a watch face and with widgets and everything. It was like a timeline view that pebble was using Mm -hmm. you know eventually and then the siri watch face had already come out by then but it's like oh that's what they ended up repurposing it as and i think i I saw somewhere i think it was like a reader had emailed tim cook or something and asked what watch faces you use and he said the siri watch face is like one of two (laughs) it was infograph and the siri watch face yeah 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 so data heavy ones but i don't know about you but siri has the siri watch face has never lived up to its expectation because agree it's only so much it can show you 
you can eliminate things so you don't get as much stuff in the way, but it's it's never like Apple released it and they never they they, they released it and then they added a few more data points from from their own apps. They added the ability, I think, for maybe third party apps to, to do things with it, but that didn't happen much. And then it, they've never changed the style of it. And now it languishes. Yeah, <laughs> they, they added a gray color option to it. But like as, even as the watches got bigger, it's just a bigger, you know, blocks of data instead of more or you know anything like that. So. So yeah, this this is curious, and I wonder how much too this is motivated by you've gone from thirty eight millimeters to in forty two millimeter watch faces to what are we at now? Forty one, um, forty five, and then forty nine for the yeah. Ultra. So yeah, the, yeah. so you, so it's it, it makes sense too to just let a look at this and say, oh, we don't have Series three in the lineup anymore. So there's there goes all those legacy sizes. Let's design something for the bigger watch faces, and yeah. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm excited to try it. Like, because yeah. the current design clearly has flaws. The the app grid, the home, whether it's the list or the honeycomb view, doesn't get used very much. And so you might as well try and do something different with it. So, which is um, which is a good shot. Let's see how it goes. Yep. All right. Next up is uh, something that you've you've talked about for a while as being necessary. Apple and Google announced a partnership to. Uh, They've created a specification that Android and iOS can use to be detected, to be able to detect AirTag and AirTag-like trackers, like Bluetooth trackers, without having to install an AirTag app for Android users who just want to know if AirTags are stalking them. And, and, and that, you know, same thing for other trackers, you know. Yeah, like hypothetically, if a Samsung tracker became very popular uh, and you're on an iPhone... The iPhone system, like the integrated notifications for unwanted tracking alerts, won't fire because right now it's all proprietary to each manufacturer. And you'd have to go and download a Samsung tracker app from the app so store. you need an app from every brand that you don't want to be stocked by. Yeah, and because of use. background limitations on iOS, you couldn't have it you know, running continuously. You'd have to open the app and scan. And on Android, although there are um, third-party apps that can scan for air tags in the background, Apple's official app called Tracker Detect makes you sit there and scan and doesn't even let you ping a tracker unless it's been in the same area of you for several minutes, which I think is meant of a way to stop people from just like making it make a noise um, as a nuisance, right? So like, it's like you have to show intent that this thing is following you around before you can actually make it make a noise. Um, but it's clearly like silly, right? <laughs> and and the, if you're an iOS user, you're way more defended against someone slipping an air tag in your bag because you get those you know notifications with a map of where it's been and you can you know disable it and you, you can make it make a noise etc etc um and so it's clearly been a bad state of affairs and i we spoke about this before when they did like the tracker detect app it's like yeah that's good but what you really want is apple and google to work together so that both platforms can detect these tags and offer you know system level security because the kind of way that it works is not too dissimilar to like how they did exposure notifications for covid back in the day where you'd have you know your iPhones being your all the all the iPhone and Android phones being like bluetooth beacons and you know pinging off when other ones are in the area like the whole bluetooth tracker thing is not so much far apart from that and apple and google managed to work together for the covid stuff and at least up to now they hadn't worked together on the on the tracker detection but this week there was a surprise press release that indeed they have now um, jointly submitted a proposed industry specification to help um, address this very issue. And so what this protocol does is basically a spec that any Bluetooth tracking device can adopt so that any Apple or Google phone 
can detect it when it's in the area when it's not registered to the owner of the phone. So this doesn't let like it's not an open sourcing of how AirTag works because other you know other tags couldn't freely show up in the Find My app. You'd still have to go through the proprietary MFI program for that, right? That some manufacturers have done, like Chipolo or whatnot, but others don't want to because it requires, you know, it's a one-way beneficiary mostly to Apple because of the privacy thing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So like Tile doesn't want to do that. Um, and so they don't. Samsung doesn't want to do that, and so they don't. But Samsung, Tile, and others have also pledged that they uh, pledge support for this specification that was announced this week, so that regardless of what tracker you have, or regardless of what phone you've got, assuming you've got the updated iOS and Android version that supports it, they will be able to do exactly what the AirTag experience does now for unidentified trackers near your iPhone. Except that the same thing could happen on an Android. And regardless whether it's an air tag or a different type of tracker, so this is something they should have probably announced when you know, or at least intent to do when the air tags were first announced, um, or maybe the second round when they had to release that press release about air tags are safe to use and we're doing these five things to help address it. But the big, the bigger mission was a cross OS solution, and finally here it is. So I'm very happy to see this. Um, they said it will be the spec will be ratified by the end of the year and it will be implemented in products and ios and android starting in 2024 so obviously this stuff takes a while to you know percolate through the standards bodies and whatnot mm. but this is exactly um what they should have done and i uh, very happy to see it yeah like, like you talked about this the whole time and they, they did it so when it came out i was like oh this is the thing that you wanted so which obviously makes sense so um and this is separate from being able to use like an AirTag with Android as like your tracker. Yes. Yeah. So you can't it's only that. for the case of there's a you know a Bluetooth tracker in the area that isn't registered to the current device or the current account, and therefore it can make it ping, and you can make it ping, and it can tell you that it's around. Yeah. Yeah. So, so literally, what the tracker detect app does, but at a system yeah. level for any tracker is the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So AirTags are main reason to be in the iPhone ecosystem, but at least they won't be at some point in the future they won't be as as egregious for harder to be taken advantage <laughs> of just because you have an android phone let's put it that way. Yeah. yeah 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 so that's great uh apple tv stuff so let's go through some some things here um beginning with the morning show what's what's that's one of the the launch series of apple tv plus so what, what's new there it's been renewed this week for season four ahead of the season three premiere coming later in the year. This was a bit of a surprise to me because, like, you know, obviously uh, Apple TV Plus is more mature now. They've got a bigger library. So they're, you know, in the early days, they kind of had to renew everything because they had nothing, right? <laughs> Whereas now they can be at the point of being a bit more selective about, like... Almost uh, everything, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, little voice. Um, <laughs> uh, no, whereas now they can be a lot more selective about what they keep on and what they drop. And they've already announced, you know, a few cancellations this year that they wouldn't have done in the first year of the service. Um, and the morning show, I'd always kind of seen as like it's probably going to be like a three-season show because you know it's very expensive. The salary, the salary expense for the main stars is really high. They also have a supporting cast of many, many recognizable names. So it's an expensive production. Obviously, it was Apple's flagship show at launch, but. The reception to it was not um, wholehearted. I think season one was pretty good in the end, but it didn't get like the waves of um, viewership, I think, that they were kind of expecting it to get. And season two was a lot more divisive and weird. And, it, you know, it went down, it kind of got disrupted by the whole COVID plotline and stuff. So it went down a very different direction. And critically, it got a lot more flack. 
Um, so it wasn't really a big. I don't. I think it's still like a decent audience draw for Apple. Like you always see it in like the top ten, even though it hasn't had a new episode in like two years at this point. Um, mm-hmm. But it certainly didn't have like critical acclaim uh, on the second season. And so I was kind of expecting this third season to kind of wrap everything up and be done with it because also it was rumored uh, last year that the contracts for the stars, i.e. Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, were only three-season deals mm-hmm. and obviously the third season coming up. So I was like, okay, it's probably, you know, they can probably wrap it up with a third season and there you go, put a nice bow tie on it. But no, out of the blue this week, it says it's renewed for season four officially and um, Aniston and Witherspoon are in negotiations to uh, renew their contracts to continue continue starring in it so cool uh, we'll see how that goes i guess yeah when, did you I, did, I never actually finished season two I, you did though right yeah morning yeah. show is one of the i mean i i care i i have a big interest in media and um so like any movie about journalism or tv show about journalism even if it's a you know really dramatic and not like it, it, i like this show it, it fits my interest um, so, so that's one of the reasons I like it. I, I, I see why it wouldn't be like mainstream as as other shows would be, um, you know. And, and it's, season two is a lot like not that season one was fun, but season two was even like heavier. Even if I think that the subject matter of season two wasn't as heavy, but the mood of the show was heavier. Um, and so by the end of it, you're just like, it's it's very tiring. Um, but uh, yeah, I. I We'll we'll see what season three does. Season like like you said, season four trilogies are nice, like in movies and, and seasons. So um, for them, them to do a season four, hopefully they they get their cash back. What I was thinking was they gave Billy Crudup his own show, and they thought, well, maybe we can just have these stars do their other do other shows. And they're like, oh, that was was like terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not him; it's the premise. And so you know, I think he's excellent on the morning show. Um, so it's season three of the morning show will be like his redemption on Apple in the Apple TV universe. Um, yeah, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. This is one of the shows that I, you know, care care about and watched on on release day, and I did that with season season two. So we'll, we'll do in the future as well. Yeah, so no season official season. release date for season three, but they did confirm it's coming uh, right. in the full time period. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then uh, Severance yeah. had some drama on the backstage uh, in the last week about Severance is a good show. It's, it's, yeah, I love. <laughs> I think Severance is great. I can't wait for season two. But the story this week was that season two is delayed because of um, backroom battles between the showrunner and the producers. And there was a bit of a conflict about direction. Apparently some of the scripts weren't finished or not up to not up to someone's satisfaction. So there's a bit back and forth. And uh, according to Puck News, Apple had brought on um, House of Cards creator, uh, Bo Willimon, um, to help kind of push the show along and get it set up there's been some um other sources disputing the puck report including ben stiller himself saying you know that we're on schedule it's all working fine um of yeah of course they're going to say that but yeah. you know um who knows if it's going to be behind schedule on schedule or what the truth is they hired another guy so there probably wasn't you know perfect relationships between sure. uh, mark friedman and, and uh, Dan Erickson, who is the original writer, the original showrunner, whose first time, obviously, because this Severance is a big breakout. Um, uh, so, whatever you want to make of that, who, who, you know, who knows, whatever. I, I mean, I think practically season two of Severance was always um, scheduled to come out early 2024, uh, just because that's how the the timing windows lined up and stuff. Which uh, is kind of sad because it's going to be a while. You know, the first, the second season came out February 22, and so second season would be like almost two years later but that's how 
prestige top end TV work sometimes at the moment. Um, like The Last of Us, the HBO show, that's not even going to start filming until next year for season two. Right. So they're going to be even longer behind. Um, but, you know, just schedules and stuff takes a long time. Uh, so that's that's how it works. But there was a little uh, nugget of information in the Puck News report that Apple is already preparing to order season three, which will be run by uh, the aforementioned uh, High of Cards creator, and season four. So another season four wow. show, apparently, uh, in the offing for Apple. So more, more, uh, more, more, more uh, cliffhangers. More cliffhangers. No, uh, no, no definition. <laughs> it's like... We'll see. We'll see. Like Severance season one was really good, and so it's really good. Follow up. Yeah. I mean, my critique is: is is it weird stuff for the sake of being weird, or is there a point to everything? And we'll um, find out, I guess. We'll find we'll find out in uh, let's see two, four, six, eight years, eight years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, although season two might not be delayed because of you know producer fights it might be delayed because of the writer strike because uh, if they haven't finished scripts uh, then they're going to be in trouble because as of this yeah. week the hollywood um hollywood writers represented by the R- writers guild of america which represents you know screenwriters and television writers for film and tv in hollywood uh, officially on strike which then causes a big spray in the works for you know all streaming services including apple because basically anything that doesn't really have scripts finished is basically halted because none of the writers will go to work instead they're out on strike and you can see them on the picket lines in front of offices in LA at the moment um you know I don't want to get into the details of why that what, what they're fighting over basically they want more money which is probably fair enough and the yeah, last time there was sure. a writer strike uh back in 2007 that lasted for three months and a lot of people this time around think that the gap between what the studios are offering in terms of compensation and package and what the guild wants is even further apart. So we might see a, a strike of even longer than three months. Um, but basically what that means is for content pipelines, the streamers, the networks, they all kind of get stuffed and have to kind of make do with other stuff because the stuff coming out of Hollywood, i.e. most of the product that ends up on our screens including you know morning show and severance and everything else uh that's made inside of hollywood with writers under the writers good association and that won't be good happening uh, at the moment and probably not for the foreseeable future um and this is only just coming out of uh, a point where the studios and the networks had finally recovered from the disruption from covid right like it was only literally i'd say like the end of last year that people had finally got everything back in order in terms of production after all the covid shutdowns and now we're facing a writer strike which is causing another round of issues um apple has a lot of content in the bag like they have about 30 shows that we know like 30 like scripted shows um done and dusted in terms of like they're in post-production which can continue because it doesn't really need writers um at that point uh but and then there's about another dozen shows currently in production um now shows currently in production they obviously have scripts written for all the episodes but as you're shooting stuff you generally need some like writers on set to do rewrites or adjustments or changes and that won't be allowed either so some shows will still go on you know be halted and wait for that to end and some shows will just kind of like forge ahead anyway and just cope with the fact they can't really get proper rewrites done um but if you look at apple's you know the amount of stuff that apple's kind of like finished or you know almost in the can they've probably got enough for like the next year but they are going to have to slow down their release cadence because right. you know at the moment this Catch year they've been up. releasing like five things a month like five new things a month if you've only got 30 40 projects you'll be out in eight months at that pace so you'll probably see them slow down um and you might also see them kind of buy more from overseas because international productions like stuff in the uk isn't under the america's writers guild so that continues on as normal um and also from you know other languages 
um, and maybe some more like you know reality unscripted content that obviously doesn't depend on writers as much um and then you might also see i've lost my train you might also see um This was me earlier today. Yeah, yeah I've completely forgotten to answer. I think, uh, just ignore that. Can you edit that bit out? <laughs> I, I'll edit the whole show out, don't worry. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll just stop talking. I think I've finished, yeah. So just okay. ignore the bit when I said also. <laughs> Do you remember the, the writer strike in 2007-8? Not really. I Not was really. pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I guess I was like seven, 17, 18. So makes makes sense that I would remember it, I guess. But uh like the things have already happened now where late night TV shows, you know, um, like, like Colbert and, and Fallon, um, go, go off the air because they don't have new writer. They don't have writers for new episodes. Um, I remember what I remember then was that Conan O'Brien stayed on the air, but it without the writers. And it was like, you know, everyone was getting paid. Everything was impromptu. Yeah. They, it was just impromptu. Yeah. And I saw, a. a tweet going on this this week that was like showed where he had spun his wedding ring for like a minute and a half and like that was yes i saw that on twitter yeah 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 <laughs> yeah but, uh so I, re- I remember that but i also remember like family like uh, an uncle of mine saying like oh, like raw conan without writers is it's it's like full-on conan and it's it was actually really good not to say that the writers made the show bad uh but that that it, like not, it mixes not, up a bit, yeah. Not very many people could do that, and that, that he did. I'm not sure what. I don't remember if Col, I think Colbert may have kept going on Comedy Central for the Colbert Report, um, maybe. But I also saw on, on Twitter this week where like um, someone who was a writer on um, on Fallon, you know, was upset that uh, this time there wasn't like the same guarantees of being paid for X amount of time, and that there was a meeting and Fallon wasn't present at it, and then like the next one he was, and it was like a. Um, there was like promise to pay for the next week at least and, and insurance and health insurance. Like, There's like a big deal to strike and, and, and put everything on pause like that. So, um, you know, hopefully it gets resolved sooner than later, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, 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 and I think the one thing that's like impacting TV plus for now is like, there was like some event that, that, um, John Stewart would have been at that he's not going to go to. So. Yeah. Cause the other thing you're not allowed to do is like promote stuff. And obviously it's in award season and like, yeah. Um, so Apple hosts, you know, for your consideration events and, including like the John Stewart yeah. show and stuff and all that stuff has also has to be postponed but that affects all networks not just Apple obviously yeah, um, yeah. and the ramification a lot of the ramifications of this because you know if you've got eight months of content in stock you can roll that out but in eight months time there's probably going to be a gap again because like stuff yes. that go- you know stuff that would be going in production now will be coming out end of next year right like that's generally how it works you know a year and change um, so even if the st- if the strike lasts three months and it gets restarted, it doesn't mean they'll have stuff ready to go in for this, you know, for this time next year, because they'll have already had the gap to so have to do a lot of catching up. Um yep. so we'll see how it plays out. They managed to navigate the COVID situation pretty well. And right now they are in a decent spot in terms of probably having a slight surplus in content in the can. But um so they might they might fare better than some other networks, but uh mm. we'll have to keep tabs on it. It really depends on how long this lasts. And that's, the that's other true. companion issue is the Screen Actors Guild, which represents actors, and the Directors Guild, which represents directors, are also currently in negotiations with the studios. So there's a possibility uh, that all of them will be on strike in the not-too-distant right. future. So uh, yeah. we'll have to wait and see so, how it plays out. I like the studios are going to have to pay a little more than they have been lately. So. <laughs> yeah, they'll, get, they'll agree something eventually. It's just whether it takes two months or five months, you know? Yeah, there's there's power in striking in this in this situation. So, 
yeah. Uh, Silo starts on Friday. That's a new series. Yeah, just a Apple TV final Plus. little shout out. Look, been looking yeah. forward to this for a long time. Sci-fi show. Uh, people living underground, but they can't remember why. And it's a bit... oh, same. I hear that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got really good reviews so far. So I'm looking forward to it. First two episodes start on Friday. Cool. Um, let's see. Are you watching anything regularly on Apple TV right now? Like a Silo will be one of them. Uh, we'll definitely be watching Silo. And been watching yeah. Smigadoon with some family. Okay. That's been pretty fun. Yeah. Um, Ted, Ted, well, have, you, have you started Ted Lasso yet? I haven't started Ted Lasso yet. We okay. we kind of need to do that. Um, yeah. It's it. Ted Lasso. We still got about another month right before it ends, so, or a few weeks. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, just over the halfway point, I think, for the season. So. Are you um, liking it? I know a lot. Of, there's a lot of divisive opinion. I would say. People well, that's just show, right? Where where it required, or at least it it it, it happened to have like reworking and every like rewriting and, and refilming and everything, right? Like if you talk about the situation with um, Severance and and wasn't there similar drama with with the last or the third season of, of Ted Lasso? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So so I'm, I'll be curious to to hear whenever you do watch it, like if you see any of that in the show. I'm not sure I do. I mean, my like my my one like generalization about the season is that it's you know a lot of different pilot trials for like other shows based on and i've heard that you know ted lasso Lasso himself isn't a main character as much right just in general yeah nice to me it doesn't feel like very different than than past stories that you're just leaning way more into the other characters now like in, in a way that it's like what if they had their own show would that be interesting to watch is there enough there um you know, so so, but I'm I guess we'll see it. how it ends, right? Because if this is the end of the show, then that will decide how people view it in, mm-hmm. in hindsight. Yep, but it, it's it, I'm still watching it uh, like as it comes out. Usually on Tuesday night, I think at 9 p.m. my time, maybe even 8 p.m. I think 9 p.m. it airs, so I can watch it then. This week I forgot and like watched it on the Wednesday, as as you know they say it's released. Um, but I it's it's an hour of TV that I actually really enjoy watching still. So um, happy about that. Uh, there's another show that that's not on Apple TV Plus, but I learned about it from the TV app. You know how they they recommend things on other channels that they sell. Um, and it's called Totally Completely Fine, and it's um a, I've totally completely never heard of it. Exactly, yeah. It came out on April twentieth, Thursday, and and that was like that's when I saw it was in the TV app, so it was being promoted that day, I guess. But it's from uh in the U.S. at least it it's streamed through AMC Plus the channel. Or I guess AMC on the on TV, um, so like not one of the major channels. It's only six episodes in the series. Uh, comes out of Australia, and I think Stan is a network that runs it there. And I think maybe even like they all came out at once on Stan, and then AMC Plus is doing every like weekly releases. But anyway, I, I've I watched like as much as was coming out weekly, and then I like I caught up, I like caught the rest of the season because it's online through Stan and. Um, really really enjoyed it it's about mental health uh it's uh about a sister and two brothers and um their grandfather dies and and she inherits the house but she's always like like she's not the one who they think would have inherited the house that was his house and then um really some touching stuff so like if you if you like ted lasso for like Mm -hmm. some of the like touching moments and like um you know any of the mental health like you know things that they tackle there the show is very much into that I think they told they told a lot of story in six episodes. They're about an hour long, a little bit less than an hour long each. Um, but I found totally completely fine to be great. Well, you know, I, w- I would say like a little raunchier than Ted Lasso, but I don't think that's true. I think 
think Ted Lasso is like raunchier than you than you think. It when is you, when you think about some of the storylines, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, I'll check anyway. that. Sounds good. Yep, cool. All right, well, that's my recommendation. I just really liked it, so I wanted to mention it. And that was found through the TV app, not a TV plus show. I was like on the Apple TV, like flipping around, and I saw that. I'm like, huh, what is that? Uh, so that's pretty cool. All right, that's the Happy Hour podcast for this week. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts for the ad-free version for $5 a month or $50 a year. To support us directly, we also thank everyone who supports our sponsors who make the show possible. If you have any feedback, you can email Benjamin and I at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. You can follow me on Twitter at ApolloZach. That's A-P-O-L-L-O-Z-A-C. And Benjamin, you're on Twitter at BZA Mayo. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.